Welcome back to another episode of Conversations on the Creek, the Duck Creek podcast where we interview thought leaders about how the latest insure tech is transforming the PNC insurance industry. Whether you're working on underwriting, sales and marketing, claims, or an insurer's IT department, in each episode, we uncover the insights you need to reimagine the future of insurance. I'm Rob Savitsky. And I'm Zach May. And in today's episode, we're so pumped to be joined by none other than Emma Roloff, co-founder and principal consultant at Roloff Consulting. She is also the host of the Leading Change podcast. And today, she's here to share her reflections on the insurance industry for 2022 and help us out with some predictions. Wow, 2023. <laughs> I forgot what year we're in, everybody. Can give us some predictions for 2024. This is 2024, after all. So with that, Emma, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I feel like I we didn't talk about this, but in Wisconsin, where I'm based, we've got some real nasty, cold winter weather. So I'm glad to be inside under a blanket talking to you guys versus doing anything that requires me leaving my home right now. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, now we we got hit pretty hard with a storm uh, as well here in Boston, or, or at least we got a couple inches on the ground. Seems like it's mostly plowed, but not not a day to be outside. So I I too am glad we are we are speaking virtually. Um, Zach, coming back That's on up. the show. How's back. it going, my, my, my man? Uh, things are good. It's good to be back. Uh, I think this is my first time back in um, at least six months, probably. So, uh, so happy to be here. Happy to do this uh, annual recap and look forward episode for the third year running now with you, Rob. And uh, happy to have a the guest of honor, Emma, join us this time around. Woohoo! Yeah. No, this is our like you're saying our third year. The first two years we've done it. Uh, just you and me, uh, you know, reflecting on the show and what we did last year, what we're doing the next year. And then uh, Zach and I were both on a webinar that Emma hosted last month, uh, meaning December. And it was on exactly this topic. She had an all-star cast, I want to say, a dozen thought leaders from across the insurance industry giving their take on predictions for 2024. And uh, I, I think this may have been like one of the biggest webinars ever in Insure Act. There was like 1,600 registrants for for it and so uh, you know we, we went on it and we're like hey you know we've been following i've been following emma for a while it's uh, it's a good time to have you on the show so we'll uh, we'll get into your takeaways from the webinar in a minute but emma um to start off why don't you just uh tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and what uh, what you're up to these days yeah thank you for the opportunity so um my insurance story is very similar to most people i did not intend to come into insurance. I was actually planning to be a social studies teacher for middle school and high school. Um, and then kind of windy, twisty road moved into corporate training, which gave me a sense of business. And I thought to myself, like, I actually like this. So let's see what happens here a little bit. And um, was encouraged by my husband, who will come back into the story here in a minute, um, to move into sales and um so I started working for a process automation company in my early 20s, focused on helping companies move through large-scale transformations. And so I was with that organization for about eight years and moved up and through to eventually managing um, our insurance practice and helping build out our enterprise sales strategy there. Um, from there, I made a move into more of a specific insurance role for a small stint and then realized that um, about six months ago, 
that I was jealous that said husband who I had mentioned earlier in this timeline was off on his own helping companies kind of update and modernize their sales and marketing strategies. So I joined James and we kind of reestablished the consulting company as Roloff Consulting because I was involved as well and it wasn't just him anymore. Um, and our focus, as I mentioned, is helping companies really take a peek at um, the, the sticky spot between sales and marketing and help them establish a more modern approach that helps them sell the way that buyers actually want to buy today. So we work kind of all across the insurance landscape and beyond with agents and brokers and sure techs and even some of the kind of like the carrier crossover, um, talking with them about messaging and how we're positioning the industry as a whole. Nice. That's awesome. Thanks for that. And, and for our listeners, Emma, I really I, I liken you to kind of being like a new sort of industry analyst in a lot of ways. You know, you've you've worked in the industry, you talked to tons of guests, you've been involved in various carrier projects, and really someone who who's got a good pulse on on trends in the industry and a lot of different perspectives. So I thought you you'd be a great fit for for our listeners and and for us for for today. So we're we're looking forward to learning from you. But Thank you. uh uh, uh, enough with that. Let, let's let's get into the content. So I talked about this webinar, a really awesome webinar last month, uh, uh, Emma. What key trends and takeaways from your webinar were you most surprised about? Uh, what happened last year in 2023? And what do you predict for 2024? Okay, so we'll start with like the big kind of repeat trends that I saw. So I would say Number one across the board, even though we were slightly more focused on technology as like the underlying current of a lot of the trends, the talent gap continued to come up repeatedly. Now, whether that was in relationship to how do we use technology to overcome the talent gap, um, selfishly, my trend to watch was how we tell our story across channels like social media and how we get creative with helping recruit and retain talent through the use of digital means. Um, but then again, just like the statistic of, um, you know, the, it, and it shifts a little bit depending on who you ask, but 50% of the industry retiring by 2028 is kind of what kept coming up time and time again um, in all different flavors throughout um, the webinar. So that was kind of trend number one, and we can certainly talk more about that if we'd like to. Um, the other piece that came up repeatedly is the idea of ecosystems and connectivity. And um, really kind of, I would say, almost like a necessity at this point for our systems to play nicer with one another and how imperative that's going to be for us to kind of actually reach this like digital transformation nirvana that we've all been chasing, which I don't know if we ever fully reach that peak or if the mountain just keeps getting higher as technology advances. Um, but that was another big trend of talking through like, how does that connectivity happen? Where are there gaps in it today? What's the value of an ecosystem? How does low code, no code, code lists play into that idea of connectivity? So that was another really big trend. And then I would say the third is how do we go about truly leveraging our data to make decisions and how dynamic that process actually is and how the industry needs to respond to that. Um, so the insurance industry is well known for having probably some of the most massive amounts of data at our disposal. 
But because of how much data is at our disposal, I think that offers its own tricky dynamics to using data to drive decisions. And um, I would say, and I'm trying to avoid like the big elephant of the room or at the big elephant in the room. And that's that AI is kind of like this sneaky little like thing in the background across all of these, you know, the talent gap came up as we talk about how AI could be a potential solution to fill that. It came up when we were talking about connectivity and how does that change the dynamics? And then it comes up when we start talking about data as well. So I'd say that's kind of like the fourth one, but we did have a swear jar that anytime somebody said generative AI, they were technically supposed to put some money in the jar. So we were trying to avoid having that be the pervasive trend, but of course it came up. For sure. Well, I was going to break into the swear jar anyway with, with, with the trend. So I, I'm glad that you were able to take the liberty to wait, wait in first. But yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of... Uh, you know, interesting, uh, interesting trends arising both uh, in terms of, you know, the human, the people element, technology, connectivity. We actually started the show, uh, Zach and I, a couple of years ago, talking about the ecosystem and how, you know, what is the role of core systems in connecting and integrating different solution partners from across the space. So um, glad to see that is, is one that is continuing to arise and, and, uh, and be talked about. Uh, but Zach, I know you you had a question loaded up around uh, the workforce, so I, I'm going to pass the mic to you for this one. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, Emma, two of those trends that you cited are, I'll say, things that I am certainly very passionate about, so I'm glad you hit on them. The first being kind of, I'll, I'll talk about just the ecosystem, the connectivity in my, what I can say now, former role of working in the ecosystems and sure tech partnership space for many years. Um, that that's still something I'm I'm very you know passionate about keeping keeping a pulse on the industry looking to just create better connections all across the industry. Um, you, you said all the right things there, but uh, on the other thing I'm very passionate about is um, in my kind of in my own career journey um, and this this whole idea of you know the 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 talent gap that is disappearing and and a huge amount of the insurance workforce retiring in the next you know short number of years, I was someone who came into the industry fresh out of college saying, hey, I'm I'm going right into insurance. I think it's the right move. And along the way, I have learned and figured out, yeah, there's there is a lot of older people here that are eventually <laughs> going to leave the workforce and they need more people like me who think they should just come into this thing. So with that in mind, um, you know, you mentioned again, a lot of older workers are retiring and that 50% statistic by 2028, according to some sources, right? Um, you know what? You, I think you also mentioned, you know, some some of the things the carriers are doing to attract the younger talent. We'll say is, you know, brands recognition, more things in social media. Um, what are some other things that that you're hearing and seeing carriers doing to attract these? You know, whether it's younger workers or or just workers from other industries that might have no idea that insurance is is a good place to be. What are you seeing them do and what do you think might happen more in 2024? So can I give like a little bit of maybe a controversial answer to start off with? Absolutely. I don't think carriers are really doing much, which I think is the problem. Um, and the reason that I say that is they're even kind of self-admitted from carriers. I um, and. Going back to like a year or so ago, I was at a conference and there was 
a larger regional carrier talking about the things that they're doing to try and bring different people and diverse people into the industry. And they were the first ones to admit that when they had high school and college career fairs or things that would come to their campus to try and get people excited about working in insurance, all they would do was talk about the things that they thought were exciting, like marketing. And they were citing the fact that they actually had a high school student like raise their hand and be like, like it's cool to learn about marketing, but like I'm here to learn about insurance. So can you tell us about the insurance jobs? And there's this propensity and this belief within our industry that what we do is inherently dry and inherently boring. And that it's almost to our advantage to like joke about that as opposed to leaning into the role that our industry plays in our greater economy and our society as a whole. And I think that that's the wrong approach for us to be taking. And the reason that I say this is, you know, looking around, we're all probably in that like millennial generation. And when you look at people within our demographic and younger, people want to feel attached to something bigger when they're doing their work. They don't want to just feel like they're doing something cool. So actually, insurance has one of the best stories to be telling when it comes to providing a mission that drives an organization. But we're so focused on being boring or laggards and like kind of beating ourselves up from that standpoint that we don't focus on like the good parts of the industry that would potentially attract good talent. And then the other part of this that I think is maybe kind of geared towards that idea of like, how do we change the narrative and how do we change the story associated with uh, the industry is also recognizing that not everybody has the desire to do that, even though there are millennials and and Gen Z people that are really mission-driven and want to attach to a greater good with their position. There's also a lot of people that aren't in the position to make career decisions based off of that alone. And we don't do enough to promote the career opportunities and um, mobility within the insurance industry. We're very like almost protective of the fact that the industry we work in has hard work associated with it. And there is a mission that when somebody starts to say like, hey, the insurance industry is a really great place for you to go. Half of the people, actually three-fourths of the people here don't have a risk management degree and none of them were planning to go into insurance anyhow. It doesn't matter if you didn't study that in college. It doesn't matter if you have experience. Come join us in the industry. For some reason, that's almost offensive. So there was recently a viral TikTok that has well over a million views now hundreds of thousands of interactions that then made its way into headlines and then made its way onto LinkedIn. This woman was encouraging people to come build a career in insurance. She never once said the work was easy, but she did say that she didn't need a specific degree or have experience prior to taking her role as a claims adjuster. And all of the comments that I saw in LinkedIn were, this work is not easy. She said it's easy money, blah, blah, blah. But it was like the headline that said, TikToker says that claims adjusting is easy money. But they never actually went to go see what was being said about the industry. 
And in my opinion, those are the type of things that we need to lean into. And those are the types of things that we need to get more creative about amplifying as an industry if we actually want to bring different people in and start filling this talent gap. So I, I I know that that probably didn't do a great job of establishing like what they're doing because we're using a lot of the same traditional tools that every other industry uses. And a job posting saying, a long lasting career that will bring you fulfillment isn't going to be what closes our gap. It has to be something different and we need to take a different approach. And I think to, to piggyback on that, Emma, the, the, the thing I hear the most out of any, or well, maybe not anyone I have ever talked to in this industry, but almost everyone I've talked to in this industry is that, you know, I, I didn't seek out to have a career in insurance. I just kind of wound up here from one way or another and it's kind of wrote me in and I've, I've never left. There's good job security. Maybe people have had a chance to move their way up in the kind of the career ladder of the organization or, or move around companies. So you hear that all the time. Um, and what I, what I would love to see more in the future in 2024 and beyond, again, as someone who just started their career here and, hope, and may, may never leave, I don't know, um, is, is finding <laughs> kind of those, I, I, exactly right. Is finding kind of that, that younger, uh, people that are just excited about it and and see the greater good in it. Cause as we have probably seen in a lot of um, companies and big brand names out there, uh, especially in the last few years as um, brand awareness and brand recognition is, is significant and it really matters if, if, if a company goes and does something or, you know, gets behind a certain cause, it, it can, have good and bad ramifications for their brand and what people perceive about them. And I think more and more people, especially in a, what we'll just blanket as a younger generation feel very strongly about that a lot of times. So um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things that insurance companies could be using as tools to, to get the word out there. TikTok being a great example these days. One thing I would add to that kind of going on the idea of like just the reputation of the industry as a whole, our customers are not going to go to social media in droves to share. I had a claim. It was fairly settled. It was settled on an, ex you know, a, an appropriate amount of time. And I was able to fix what happened. Nobody's going to tell that story on social media. They might tell their friend. But it's not going to be at the same scale as somebody who's angry or feels like they were wronged. And so what what is pervasive about the insurance industry are the people that maybe didn't get the outcome that they were expecting through a claims process or saw a significant increase in their their um their policy over the last year, they're going to tell those stories and they're going to tell those stories loudly. And then it's going to become an echo chamber of the bad things that could damage an insurance carrier's reputation or the industry's reputation as a whole. It's our job to tell that other side of the story and do it effectively. If we want people to not feel like they're going into an industry where they're not going to be happy or find good people because all they think is bad things about the insurance industry. And so that's where we, like, again, kind of the narrative goes beyond just what career you could build, but also kind of a rehab on an industry level, I think. I think you're exactly right. I think expectations is such a key for insurance, right? Education. You expect, yeah, exactly. Uh, you expect 
a result is going to come out of if you had a claim, right? Your your life is going to be made whole again, and it's not going to be this huge financial burden, right? So it's hard to tell that story, and it's still a challenge out there. But we'll, we'll see what what happens in yeah 2024. But you know, let's let's switch gears a little bit. You know, speaking of expectations, I'm sure many of the listeners to this episode are expecting that we are going to talk around uh, about the we'll say the elephant in the room, which is <laughs> AI, of course, and generative AI. It's been all around us for the last year plus, and frankly, it ain't going away. So maybe, Rob, over to you. Um, We clearly can't ignore the hype of generative AI. So what is your take on generative AI's impact in the insurance industry? Yeah, so uh, I'd say the, the impact, and if you look at the numbers, it hasn't been that big yet, yet being the key word, and I predict it will get much, much bigger uh, across, uh, you know, underwriting, pricing and claims, marketing and many other use cases. And, you know, I was looking at uh, some stats from a a survey that ResourcePro put out last month in December, and it's that so far only 10% of personal lines carriers and 13% of commercial lines carriers have implemented Gen AI. Um, that being said, there's an additional 75% of carriers that are either in the phase of studying generative AI or in the investigating and piloting phase. So I think if we if we look ahead to the end of the year and, and uh, you know, Resource Pro does the survey again, I would expect that we're going to see a lot more implementations, you know, maybe 25, 40% or more of carriers that are beyond the pilot phase and, and, and are running uh, generative AI in production. Now, I think a lot of that depends on on how these pilots go, um, but there's there's a lot of room uh, where I think you know if twenty twenty three was the year of talking the talk, I think twenty twenty four there's going to be a lot more walking the walk with with Gen AI uh, Gen AI among carriers. Uh, a couple other predictions or thoughts uh, on the uh, you know tying back to around uh, work and roles within this industry. Uh, one thing that I came across, uh, you know, are prompt engineering roles uh, being hired by at major carriers. And so um, similar to how we, we've seen the rise of, you know, with low code core systems and uh, business analysts being able to take on roles that traditionally were only reserved for, for software engineers, um, you know, software engineers for sure are going to be critical to the future of this industry. I think, though, that there are going to be some skill sets where uh, prompting a large language model is going to be critical to the work, being able to get what you need out of it and then be able to go into the code and revise it, QA it, tweak it, make it better, make it you know suit your, your secret sauce as a carrier. Uh, and really, that I think is going to unlock a lot more value-added work um, for folks. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot more around prompt engineering and prompting just in general. Wow, what a huge buzzword, probably the biggest part of my, or, or word rather, part of my, my uh, digital literacy, which I think Emma, you talk about sometimes that but I uh, do. <laughs> has uh, come up in the last in the last year. So I think we're seeing more of that. And then you know, just getting back to what you were talking about at the beginning, Emma, around data, uh, Gen AI, obviously, to, to have the results that carriers envision, they're going to need to get their data strategies in order. And so I think I think a lot of um, you know, it might seem like table stakes, but you know, if you look around, uh, there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so I think we're going to really see a lot of carriers in 2024 making a more a new push, a more concerted push to make sure their data is unified, cleansed, flattened, and curated, and ready to be utilized so that you know they are able to put together great data and great model output to get great results. One thing, you know, like even going back to the idea of like untraditional paths into insurance, 
there's nobody with a degree for prompt engineering. You know, that's something yeah. that people are learning and that's a skill that you can learn. And whether it's within the insurance industry or beyond, it's going to be in high demand. And so there, there's so many different opportunities for where you can come into the industry with all of these different kinds of tools emerging, um, even without like a formalized education in that space. Absolutely. And prompt engineering, it might not necessarily even be for software engineers. I mean, there could be folks coming into marketing roles who are going to use uh, prompt engineering or chat GPT to do their roles more effectively. So I think, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's probably going to be a lot more and it might start within the software development landscape, but I think it's definitely going to expand over time. So, you know, we're going kind of off of that and maybe prompt engineering as a part of claims or, you know, using large language models as a part of claims is probably a good segue for me to ask you my next question, Zach, you know, like when we take a look at claims, and what's on the horizon for 2024? Um, do you think it's going to be more of the same? Or do you think that there's some substantial shifts that we'll be seeing in the market there? Yeah, and I think, uh, well, first of all, um, I don't I don't know that we're going to see a just a massive shakeup on how <laughs> claims departments are run within carriers across the country, across the globe, frankly, right? There's a, there's a practice to it and there's a, there's a lot of a operational efficiency to it, um, but there's never enough, right? There's always ways to improve. So um, I think one trend that's been, I mean, it's been a trend for a number of years, especially as we move into the more digital age and more digital native um, claimants, who are kind of experiencing their own insurance policies for the first time and maybe their own claims for the first time, um, continuing to focus on the customer experience of the claimant, it's still going to be such a, such a big part of how these carriers are thinking about their claims operations, right? That's, that's, that's nothing new I'm saying. I'm sure people listening to that know that, right? But it, it's not going away. It's going to be a trend 2024. It's probably going to be a trend in 2025 and many years beyond. Um, you know, I think, you alluded to it earlier, Emma, a little bit, and you know the data is out there, and it shows that a negative claim experience is the number one driver for causing an insured to switch insurers after the fact, after a poor experience. Right? It's it's going to be the thing that you know someone's going to maybe go on social media um, and and talk about their negative experience, and people might see that and say, "Oh, you know what? I don't know." I don't. You, I can. I can resonate with that. I had a similar experience like that, right? You, you don't. You don't see as much of the. Man, my insurance carrier X was so good to me during this process, and I'm going to go tell the world about it. Carriers would love to see more of that, and I think they should try and create those uh, um, genuine. You know, get someone back on their feet and be compassionate. You know, show empathy with them as much as they can. So maybe some of those those things happen more organically. Um, but I think outside of just, just focusing on the customer experience for the claimants, I don't think it's lost on carriers. And I think they're, they're always looking at ways to do this and we'll, we'll, we'll keep looking at that in this year going forward is, um, you know, trying to create better experiences. So a better customer experience for their own internal, um, carrier, you know, claim department staff. Right, it, it, you know, it's important that that staff has good experiences with the work they're doing, um, that they have the tools they need to keep things running efficiently, so they can make the claimant happy and 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 serve their needs at the end of the day. You know, there there has been so much focus on the claimant experience, as there should be, um, but 
you know, just alluding back to things like this, this talent retention, that's just widening in the, in the industry. Um, and, you know, finding, needing to find that, that new wave of talent coming in, you know, I think it's critical over the, you know, this year and beyond really over the next decade plus, um, to realize and, and invest in the in, internal experience, the systems, the operations, the backend stuff that's so critical to keeping these departments as efficient as they are and smooth sailing. So, you know, something doesn't collapse on right after a, a massive hurricane hits Florida, for example, right? That's that's the last thing that a carrier and their claim is one to experience. Truth. <laughs> um Emma, I think there was, I, I did want to address one thing with you, um, kind of, you know, concluding on the claims thought here. Some, um, one of your guests in your webinar from December um, made, made an interesting statement that I thought was very, uh, made, made me really think about it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. But um, she said something like, you know, I think um, claims departments can be seen and viewed more as a possible revenue driving function of carriers and not just another expense, right? That's going out the door. Um, what do you garner from a statement like that? I think that really drives to the idea that you just brought up of a bad claims experience is the number one reason that someone is going to walk away from you. But a good claims experience, while it might not be broadcasted the same way, um, going back to... I. You know, when I worked in a restaurant back in high school and college, they would always talk about like a good experience someone will tell one or two people about, a bad experience someone will tell 10 people about. So still, there is the power of referral of a positive experience. And I think when you start to really hone in on the customer experience component of claims and being there to help really be there to fulfill that promise, you have the opportunity to create referrals and create um, that like amplifying effect of how good you are at actually making do on that promise, which in turn generates revenue for your organization. Um, specifically, the guest that brought that up is um, Bobby from Benakiva, and their solution is specifically focused on claims in the life space. And there, when you're paying out a claim, one, it's an incredibly emotional experience for the person that's on the receiving end of that, that claim payout. But also, you have the opportunity to make that a very powerful interaction that, again, creates brand loyalty and um, I think that that's the, kind of the resonating spot there is stopping thinking of claims payouts as a line item of, of spend and starting to think about it as really the entire purpose of the organization as a whole and how critical it is for you to get that right in order to stay relevant and stay as a part of the market, whether that's life or you know, we're not necessarily going down the health path, but life, health, PNC, doesn't matter what kind of insurance co coverage you're looking at. It's the time of the claims payout that is is the most important. Sure. No, that, that resonates. And um, I appreciate you kind of bringing all that in and uh, making it make sense. Not that it didn't before, but just hearing it again. Um, I think it's a really interesting way to think about 
claims in a, in a new light um, than what most people probably think about it usually when it comes to insurance. Yeah. Uh, awesome stuff. Great, great discussion. Just listening to the two of you riff, riff on this a bit. Um, I do want to get to our lightning round to, to maybe wrap up today's episode, Emma. So let's, uh, let's transition once again uh, to some, a little bit of rapid fire. Uh, we'll get some of your spiciest predictions for 2024. Um, okay. So let's think about these, these trends. It'll be kind of like an X or a Y and we'll, we'll want to get your take. Which one do you think will have a bigger impact uh, or, or take, you know, take off more than the other trend in 2024? So the first trend up, Brokers versus embedded insurance. Brokers. And the reason that I say that is going to be related back to the entire kind of first part of our discussion um, when we were talking about how important education is and how important setting expectations is within our business. It's very hard to fully ensure education and expectations have been appropriately set if we're doing it completely digitally. Um, there are some scenarios where maybe if you're buying flight insurance and you know that it's there, if your flight get can't, gets canceled, that's one thing. Um, but where we look at more complex policies, I'm going to go broker agent almost any day because they haven't gone away yet. And there's a reason for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, brokers, uh, you know, people have been saying, oh, the brokers are going to go away 10, 20 years ago. Not the case at all. They're more prolific than ever. Embedded, obviously, I think is going to continue to grow and find its uh, find its way into the value chain as well. Uh, but to keep going, uh, next one, and these are some terms that I think you have talked about also in some of your podcasts, customer experience versus the total experience. Yeah. So I know we were just talking about the claims experience tied to the customer experience, but um, my answer is going to be total experience. And I think we're going to see a lot more conversations about this moving forward. And that's recognizing the spot that specifically, I would say PNC has kind of like wiggled their way into over the last couple of years. And that was like the first wave of digital transformation, thinking that we were going to be able to completely digitize the customer experience and that that's what our customers ultimately wanted. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is that customers want to be able to interact with you on a digital capacity when they want to interact with you digitally. And they want to be able to interact with a person exactly when and where they want to interact with a person. And they want to be able to jump back and forth between the two. So for you to be able to meet that customer experience, you can't only be focused on transforming your front end processes. You have to be looking at your business holistically. And that's really where the total experience comes in. You need to have the data structure that's in place for people to be able to jump back and forth between digital experiences and human to human experiences. You have to have the employee experience on the back end that enables them to get access to information and answer questions quickly in those human to human scenarios. You have to have the portal and all of the tools and the things that people expect to be able to interact with you digitally, but you can't have just a piece of it. Customer experience isn't gonna be enough anymore because that customer experience is getting more dynamic and more complex the more technology we throw at it. So we have to be able to take a step back and look at the total experience in order to meet those customer expectations moving forward. Gotcha, great points. Yeah, carriers, MGAs, brokers, the insureds, we're, we're gonna have to work harder across all those levels. Uh, Zach, you wanna hit the last two uh, predictions or prediction 
lightning round questions that is i will a couple more emma um thoughts around let's say more education around generative ai in the industry versus uh more deployment of actually just using the generative ai tools and your processes and production and just kind of going for it what do you see my response is always yeah my response is always going to be education And, um, you know, Rob, you brought up this idea earlier of the idea of digital literacy. That is the hill that I will die on if I need to. I hope nobody puts me in that position, but that is by far um, the most important part for adoption. We can have all the tools in the world, but if nobody really understands the business value that they're bringing and nobody understands how the technology is working at a fundamental level, we're going to continue to see fear lack of adoption, pushback, and we're not going to be able to reach the heights that we want to be able to reach using these tools at nearly the pace that companies are needing to respond. So we need to take an education-based approach so that people can feel comfortable with the technology and then focus on the tooling. But that education has to come before the tools. And I think we've all seen you know, too, too many movies out there about what happens when you just let AI run loose and uh, and things start happening. We'll leave it at that. Um, let's do one more. Um, IoT, the Internet of Things, versus IOB, the Internet of Behavior. For me, I think we're about to see the rise of this conversation of the Internet of Behavior. And so I want to, like, this is a newer term, I think, for a lot of people. So I, I know we're supposed to be rapid fire, but let me just give, like, a quick definition of what that means. So IoT is the actual devices, the Internet of Things where your coffee maker is connected to the Internet, as well as your car and your cell phone and my watch and everything else that is creating these massive amounts of data. The Internet of Behavior is how we take that data and make meaningful insights to predict and personalize the the interactions that we have with our customers and be able to actually like use all of this data that we've been collecting in a meaningful way. And um, I think that there's some like potential creepy ways that the Internet of Behavior is going to like sneak in. And there's already I mean. I've seen tools that have way too much information about me, my buying behaviors and everything else out on the internet that people can use. Um, so there's there's like that side of it, but like the big opportunity within the insurance industry comes back to personalization and or uh, like, like specifically personalization of things like being able to use specific data points to help come up with rates for people or be able to le- less demographically make decisions on risk and more personally be able to make decisions on risk. And so I think that it might not fully be in 2024, but I would say 2024 and beyond, we're going to see a lot more implications of how that data drives our behavior. And IOB, Internet of Behavior, was a bit of a new term or terminology for me, so maybe a slightly newer one for some of our listeners. So um, go, go read more about that one and follow Emma to, to see what she uncovers on that in the future. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Emma, it has been a pleasure. I think we could keep going on and on and on. Uh, I'm, I've really enjoyed the conversation with you here today. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap it up? No. Well, thank you both for having me. And um, 
to Zach's point, for anybody that's looking to follow me, uh, I got a tricky name. It's just EMA. There's no two M's in my name. So Emma Roloff on LinkedIn. Um, if you search that on TikTok, you'll find it as well. I'm always a little embarrassed to announce that my uh, TikTok handle is digital uh, is Transformation Princess. Um, <laughs> there's a story there for another time, but um, you can find me there as well. I'm constantly creating content around the insurance industry, transformation, and change management. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you again, Emma. And thank you all for listening today. Connect with Emma on LinkedIn or by visiting her website at rolloffconsulting.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out all of our other episodes and follow Conversations on the Creek on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and duckcreek.com. I'm Zach May. And I'm Rob Savitsky. And we'll see you in the next episode.